We are looking forward to kicking that off next week. And we're asking you, even if you don't usually, uh, we're asking you to bring your Bibles. We want to really look at the story together and circle and underline and look at what God wants to do. So these next six weeks, bring your Bibles in front of you. If you don't have one, find me or Pastor Charles afterwards. We'll give you one. Uh, but want to bring those Bibles and looking forward to that and starting next week. But today I want to start off by going back in time to 1863. Any of you guys alive? No, of course not. It was the time when the Civil War was happening. A time when Abraham Lincoln wanted to end the Civil War in the summer of 1863. And he saw his opportunity. General Lee, he was trapped and he sends word to General Meade, go after him. And then thus, if we do this, we'll end the Civil War. Well, General Meade ignored President Lincoln's commands and General Lee got away. Well, that caused frustration and anger in President Lincoln. And he penned uh, this letter to General Meade here. I don't think my uh, clicker's working here, so you have to click for me. Thank you. Here's what it says. There we go. Thank you. Dear General Lee, or General Meade, excuse me. If you could not safely attack Lee last Monday, how can you possibly do so south of the river when you take with you very few no more than two-thirds of the force that you had in hand. It would be unreasonable to expect, and I do not expect that you can now affect much. Your golden opportunity is gone, and I am deeply distressed, immeasurably because of it. Signed, Abraham Lincoln. Do you know how George Meade responded when he received that from the President of the United States? We'll never know. Lincoln never sent the letter. It was found in a pile of letters that we now refer to as hot letters. Abraham Lincoln wrote letters to people, and instead of sending them, he would write it to get his frustration out. He may criticize people in them, but then he never sent them. And of course, I look at that story, I'm like, can I please have some self-control like Abraham Lincoln does? I mean, can you imagine when you type out the email, you about to send the text, or you're thinking these thoughts in your mind, can you imagine not sending it? That would be great, right? But too often, we see the bubbles and the text, and we're trying to text even faster so we can get our response out before another response comes our way. Or if we receive an email, it devastates us. We don't like criticism. Or what happens when we actually receive the criticism and we're thinking, man, what do I do with this? You get a letter from your boss, and you're like, what more can I do for this dude? I've done everything, and he's still not satisfied. You hear from a coach, they don't like your leadership, your play on the field, and you're like, man, I just feel like such a failure. Or your spouse makes a comment, and you're like, I, I've been hearing this for so long. How do I deal with this on a daily basis? Or you hear from a child that says you're not a good parent. Or you receive a text from a friend that says you have not been a really good friend when you have done so much to help that person. What do we do with it? How do we make sure it doesn't offend us? I resonate with what Lee Acloff says, and what the, there we go, I think I may have it, where he says this, I realize that one of my diseases in my soul is fear of conflict and criticism. If you have a fear of criticism, or you're not good at receiving criticism, or you're really bad at giving criticism, what we want to do is finish up our message series in Unoffendable, and what we want to do is look at how we can give and receive criticism without being offended. You'll have to click for me from now on, sorry. 
And so what we want to do is we want to look at, we can put this on the screen, destructive criticism. It's a kind of criticism that many of us do not like to receive, but it's oftentimes uh, something that happens to us that comes after us as a person but doesn't really talk about the issue at hand. For instance, and you can click to the next screen, here's what destructive criticism is. It's a criticism that is meant to tear you down. It is a personal attack against you rather than focusing on the issue at hand. So for instance, it's when someone says to you, you always do this. You never do this. Or someone comes at you and they tell you something you've done wrong and you're like, okay, I get it, but what's the solution? And they don't give you one you realize pretty quickly they're coming after you as a person, not the issue at hand. They've wanted to give you low blows and say mean words to come after you, not about fixing the issue or getting you help. Destructive criticism is painful, and oftentimes our response is to go right back at that person. The way that they made us feel, I want to make them feel the same way. Well, King David, he was one that was criticized. He received both destructive and, we'll look at in a few moments, constructive criticism. But the destructive criticism is, is humorous. We're going to hear about a guy named Shammai who levels criticism at the king himself. So let's click to the next screen here, please. Thank you. Here's the story. 2 Samuel 16, 5, verse 8. As King David came to Baruam, a man came out of the village cursing them. It was Shammai, son of Gera, from the same clan as Saul's family. He threw stones at the king and the king's officers and the mighty warriors who surround him. He said, get out of here, you murderer, you scoundrel, he shouted at David. The Lord is paying you back for all the bloodshed in Saul's clan. You stole his throne and now the Lord has given it to your son Absalom. At last, you will taste some of your own medicine, for you are a murderer. Jeez. This guy, man, he comes out swinging, or I should say he comes out throwing. He is throwing stones at the king and his people, this peasant. This guy who doesn't measure up to King David. He's calling him names like murderer and scoundrel, going after him as a king. Well, the people with King David, they've had enough. They're like, look, David, you are the king. Let's get rid of this guy. Literally, that's what they say. Let's go to the next verse here. In verse 9, Abishai, he gets a little extreme. He's like, why should this dead dog curse the Lord, the king? Abishai, son of Zariah, demanded. Let me go over and cut his head off. <laughs> I think Abishai had a little bit too much coffee that day. I mean, he was ready to go. But back then, most times, if someone were to speak to a king like that, I mean, the king would have been like, absolutely, go kill that guy. Who does he think he is? Now, I hope none of us would be okay with murder. <laughs> but if I told you that, no, nah, they didn't murder the guy, but he was imprisoned, or they went after him, or King David embarrassed him, I think all of us would be like, yeah, exactly, he deserves it. Why? Because when someone criticizes us, how often that we want that person to get payback, whether it's by somebody like an Abishai going to our defense, whether it's us ourselves, we want to pay that person back because who do they think they are? That's why we're quick to text back. We don't care what the words are. We just want to slam that person to make them feel the way we do. 
It's the reason why we send an email back. It's the reason why we go at our spouse like we do. It's the reason why we go at our kids like we do. We are so quick to criticize back, and we feel really good and justified in doing it because, hey, they did it to us. The problem is King David doesn't do that. Look what happens here. No, the king said. Who asked your opinion anyway, you sons of Zariah? If the Lord has told him to curse me, who are you to stop him? When is the last time that you and I, we were unjustly criticized? I guarantee it's happened to you. And instead of going back at that person or looking down on that person, when is the last time we said, you know what, God, even though this person doesn't measure up to me, or even though this person says things to everybody, or this person's a hothead, or this person doesn't know what he's talking about, when's the last time we said, but Lord, if you brought it, I'll listen. We are so quick to defend, so quick to criticize. We are so offended by what people say to us. We want to slam them back on social media or go talk about our boss behind their back or whatever it is. And David's like, you know what? What if God chose that idiot? Because he was. He acted like an idiot to speak to me. It's what this quote by Tim Keller says. Even if 20% is true, even if 20% is true, we can profit from people who are badly motivated or don't respect us. Oftentimes, the people that criticize us, we don't respect them. They have an axe to grind. They want to hurt us. And it's so easy to justify or defend or write them off or look down on them. But the problem is when we do that, we don't ask the question, God, maybe you're speaking through that person to me. We don't want to admit that because we want to stay the same. But if we stay the same, how are we going to become more like Jesus? Because oftentimes Jesus uses people in our lives, even if they take low blows, to speak a message to us. Even if it's 20% true, even if it's 2% true, we need to stop being offended all the time and stop trying to get retribution and say, God, wait, what, you, what may you be speaking to me? Man, I stink at this. <laughs> Oh, when someone criticizes me, I want to respond or I want to go tell my wife or, or tell a friend. I'm like, can you believe this guy? That's just as bad as someone leveling criticism at us because what if God could be speaking to us? I'm not saying all of it's true. Most of it's probably not going to be true. But even if it's badly motivated, what if some of it is? And what if God is trying to speak to you because he cares so much about you that he wants to use someone's words to shape you? Instead of criticizing, instead of always trying to go back at that person, maybe you say, Lord, help me see this person and their words through your perspective. You know how much that would change our lives if we actually did that? That's destructive criticism. And I know it's not easy, but sometimes it's necessary. And it's not just the other person who's wrong. Maybe we need to hear why we were wrong. Now, that's destructive criticism. Constructive criticism, I think, is even harder to receive. Here's what constructive criticism is. It's criticism that is meant to build us up. It is said with the best of intentions in order to encourage you to become your best self. And you may say, why would that be harder than destructive criticism? At least these people are caring about you, but that's just the problem. 
oftentimes it hurts most when it's from someone we love the most. We want to always be in good graces with them. We want to impress them. We want to work hard for them. And when it feels like, oh, here they come again. But most of the time, those people, your best friend, your spouse, your sister or brother, a a boss that cares about your job performance, or a coach that really wants to care about your development, when they say it, they actually really mean it. They're not here to take a shot at you or tear you down. They are here to build you up. Imagine if we looked at it that way. Instead of complaining or being a victim, what if we said, Lord, what are you trying to share with me? King David, again, is criticized. This time, rightly so. 2 Samuel chapter 11 tells us about a story of David's biggest mistake in his whole life. He takes a woman that's not his own, has an affair with her, gets her pregnant, and he's like, oh no, what did I just do? Instead of admitting it, instead of coming clean, instead of dealing with the ramification, what does he do? He brings her husband back from battle, sends him back with a letter. Essentially, it's a death letter for himself. He's put on the front lines, and he's killed. And you know what David responds in that situation with? It's just part of it. It's life. I'm going to keep going. He justifies it. He ignores it. And he continues to live his life. Well, God, at the end of chapter 11, says, basically it says God is disappointed and angry with David. So what does he do? He sends Nathan. Nathan's a prophet for God. And Nathan goes to David. And Nathan says, hey, can I tell you a quick story? And David's like, of course. And Nathan tells the story of this guy who takes advantage of this other guy. And David is so angry. He's like, how could somebody do that? I would kill that person if I could. And Nathan says, well, David, that person is you. I can't imagine the tension there. Nathan's probably like, this dude is about to go off on me. Or David could have complained. and Like, so what? I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. In that moment, instead of complaining, that Nathan came and spoke to him, he confessed. Here's what this says. 2 Samuel 12, 13. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He recognizes that Nathan has been sent by God to build him up. And the best way we are built up is when someone who cares about us says something that may hurt, but they wound us well. That's why Solomon says in Proverbs, a wound from a friend can be trusted. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't mean we want it. But God will use somebody like that to build us up. And instead of complaining or justifying, what if you and I confess and say, God, I did do this, and I am sorry. For we actually have David's own confession based upon this situation in the Psalms. Here's what he says. In Psalm 55, or 51, excuse me, verse 9. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Verse 10, it says this. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit in me. He essentially saying, I went off the path. I ignored God's commands. I lived my own life. You sent Nathan. Thank you for doing that. And now I can now live my life for you. Now I need a fresh start, God. Thank you for your forgiveness. I don't want to be this kind of person anymore. I want to be the person you want me to be. That's what constructive criticism does. It's a gift. 
It's not meant to tear you down. Let's stop being the victim. Instead, God may be sending that person your way, someone that loves you, someone that took a risk to say, hey, here's where your life is headed. If you don't do something, if you don't go to God and say, I'm sorry, and ask for his forgiveness and start over with God, what may your life be? It's a gift. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. He puts it this way, nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. If someone loves you enough to wound you well, to bring you back, instead of going after them or talking about them, you should look them in the eye and say, thank you, God, for that person. For now, I can get to where I'm supposed to be in this life. Someone who wounds me well, but boy, does it hurt, is my wife. Oh, I remember one time, we weren't in an argument. We were just talking, and she's like, man, Eric, you're such a good dad. You play with your kids, you coach your kids. I'm like, yeah, keep coming. What else? What else do you want to share with me? And she said, but Eric, if you continue to treat the boys like this in these certain ways, you're going to lose their hearts and thus their relationship. Man, I'll never forget hearing those words. And my response was to justify. My response was to complain. My response was, you don't know the stress I have in my life. My response was not the right response. But then after I thought about it and prayed about it, I thought, oh my gosh, Lord, you brought my wife in my life for that moment to show me what I could be missing out on if I don't come to you and ask you for a fresh start and be the dad you're calling me to be. Instead of complaining, and it's always the other person, and I'm always the victim, and they don't understand me, and they don't know my gifts, they don't know my abilities, stop it. And thank God for the people in your life who are willing to wound you so you can be whole. Any one of us in this room that's not wounded well, we're prideful and arrogant. And people will not tell you the truth anymore because they know how you're going to respond. And they'll just let you continue to do what you want to do. I promise you, you won't be the person God wants you to be. That's why we have to receive it well. And just as important is giving it well. Here's what Jesus says in the Gospels. He puts it this way, and we can put this on the screen. Matthew 7, 12. Do unto others the way that you want them to do to you. How you want to be criticized is exactly how you and I should criticize others. We want to be told gently, honestly, lovingly. We want to be helped. Not to punch us in the face and walk away. So based on what Jesus says, how do we criticize? Well, there's three ways to do that. Here's the first. Have I prayed about this more than I've talked to others about it? Usually we talk to others in order to load our gun so we can shoot it better and more often. Instead of saying, God, I want to hear from you. What do you think about this and how should I say it? Do you talk more to other people so you can be justified in how you feel? Or are we talking to God because God wants a humble heart? and He'll give it to you if you go to him. Second of all is this. Am I making it about the issue or the person? Sometimes we start with the issue so we can get to the person. We should always be in, uh, stay true to the issue because we should love the person. We don't go after the person's personality or their character. We go after the issue so they can fix that to become the person God wants them to be. And third of all, if you want to click this next slide, please, thanks. Am I, am I wounding to hurt or to love? You and I know exactly the difference. 
when we're about to send that text or say that word, we know if we're wounding them because they've hurt us and we're getting them back or we want them to pay or we're wounding them in love because we want to see them grow. I remember there was a Friday, my very best friend in the whole world did something that I knew was wrong. And I'm like, ah, I got to talk to him. And if I don't, I know I'm not being a good friend. But it was one of those things where I'm like, I don't know how he's going to respond, and it stinks, and I don't want to do this. And all weekend, I just thought about it, thought about it, thought about it. Well, Sunday came, and I texted him and said, hey, you want to get lunch this week? He goes, how about tomorrow? I go, how about no? <laughs> I'm like, all right, tomorrow. So we have lunch, and we're sitting there, and I'm talking about football because it's just what we like to talk about. And I felt like the Lord, like, get to the issue. I said, all right. I looked him in the eyes and said, hey, this thing happened, and I love you. I see so much in you. But I, I got to tell you, this kind of behavior and this kind of action wasn't right. And I tried to build him up. And he looked at me in the eyes. And he said, thank you. And that conversation, not because of me, but because of his humility, changed the course of what he's doing and how he's doing it. To this day, he refers back to that and thanks me. Again, it wasn't because I was so great or my words were so great, but I wounded him in love. I did to him what I would want someone to do to me. Are you willing to do that as well? To let Jesus lead you, even when it comes to having those hard conversations. If they respond poorly, that we can't control, but how we respond to them, we can't. And that's what God wants to hold us to. So as we close our time together, I want to take time to pray. So if we could put this on the screen. Maybe you've received destructive criticism or constructive criticism lately. There's two different prayer prompts that I'll walk you through in the moment. Or maybe you need to criticize someone. Maybe you need to wound them in love. Let's take time to pray through whatever God is asking you to pray about right now. So for instance, if you've been destructively criticized, you say, Father, I think 80% of that was said to me was false. But what about the other 20%? What are you teaching me through that person? Help me, Lord. Wound me. For your glory. Or the constructive criticism from a spouse or a friend or a boss that loves us. Father, thank you for allowing me to be wounded in love. It doesn't feel good, but I'm here to confess and ask for a clean heart before you. I don't want to do this anymore. Help me. Let me have your forgiveness because of the cross and give me a fresh start. Or if you have to offer criticism, if you have to talk to me, please pray this. Thank you. <laughs> Father, you know the person I need to talk to. I'm not sure exactly how to say it, but will you help me say it in a way that honors you and your golden rule? Just take a few moments to pray on whatever God's asking you to pray through in these one of these three categories, and then I'll finish up in prayer. Lord, thank you for the Nathans and the Shimeis that you bring in our path. Some that criticize us to love us and others that criticize us to wound us. Both can be from you. Help us not to justify or find allies in why that other person is wrong. Help us to come to you and say, God, give me a clean heart and help me be the humble person that you're calling me to be. Help me to learn. Help me to grow. That's who you were. And Lord, for those of us that have to have a hard talk and we know how we dread it, help us to pray to you, 
Help us to know that what the issue is. Protect us from going after the person and help us to wound them in love so they walk away believing they heard from you. Thank you for who you are and thank you for the gift of criticism. Help us to live well with it. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.